Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Dr. Dawson Church. Dawson is an award-winning health writer and researcher who has edited and authored a number of books in the fields of health, psychology, and spirituality. His best-selling book, Genie in Your Genes, has been hailed as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotions and genetics. His follow-up book, Mind to Matter, reviews the science of peak mental states. Dawson is the founder of the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare. Dr. Church shares how to apply breakthroughs of energy psychology for health and athletic performance through EFT Universe, a site dedicated to alternative medicine. Dawson, can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and what inspired you down your career path? Yeah, I have been interested in energy and healing for a long time. When I was 15 years old, I went into a spiritual community and spent time there meditating. I learned various forms of energy healing. And then most of my professional career was in book publishing. But about 20 years ago, I became aware of the potential of energy therapies to make a big difference in public health. And so many people were suffering from PTSD, from anxiety, from depression. So for the last 20 years, I've been very focused on research and also writing about research and showing people in the healthcare field that these kinds of energy therapies can make an enormous difference in globally widespread in public health. The World Health Organization says that depression by 2020 will be the biggest source of disability in the world. And so we now have such good tools and energy therapies to treat depression, but I'm very focused on bringing these therapies to big healthcare systems like the VA and like uh, Kaiser Permanente and like other big hospital chains. So that's that's where my focus is right now. When you say energy therapies, what do you, what do you mean? Can you give us some concrete examples? Yes, energy medicine, energy psychology is a big field. And perhaps the best known types of these therapies are ones like Reiki and acupuncture. Acupuncture, of course, is thousands of years old. There's evidence showing this more than 5,000 years old. And it, the theory behind it is that we have 14 energy meridians running through our bodies. And that if you insert a needle at a certain point, when a patient has a certain condition, you can unblock the energy. And then as the energy flows better, the person feels better. And there are, there are now over a thousand acupuncture studies showing that it's effective for PTSD, for pain, for all kinds of physical conditions. So that's one form of energy therapy that uses a transfer of energy from one person to another. But then, then tools like Reiki and Joe Ray and healing touch, therapeutic touch, don't actually touch the patient. They simply have the healer close to the patient and that healing intention by proximity Again, there are over 600 scientific studies published in peer-reviewed medical journals showing that these therapies have an effect on the body as well. So these are examples of energy therapies that affect physical conditions, and that energy psychology uses them to affect mental health issues like anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And again, there are over 100 studies of, of the most popular form of energy psychology, which is called EFT, or tapping, and again, it shows it has a dramatic effect on the symptoms of anxiety, depression, and PTSD. So it's using energy, non-touch energy, to affect the body. 
So what is happening in each of these different sort of modalities of healing? Well, the early research focused on outcomes. That really is the most important thing. You need to know that a therapy of any kind is doing good to the patient. How it is doing good to the patient is the second generation of research. And in my book, Mind to Matter, I talk a lot about these two generations of research. The first generation of research, we observe that a therapy works. And so, for example, aspirin, we knew that willow bark, from which aspirin is derived, we knew it worked for thousands of years. It was used as a treatment without knowing how it worked. And even when aspirin was isolated in the 1800s and made into pills, we knew that it worked to relieve pain. We didn't know how it worked for another 100 years. Penicillin, it was about, about 35 years between discovering that it worked to suppress infections before we knew how it worked. Uh, so the early studies of energy psychology and energy medicine show that they work for all of these conditions, both mental and physical. But now advanced imaging tools like EEGs and MRIs are letting us look into the body and see how it works. And what we're seeing, for example, with EEG studies is that as we read people's brains and look at the signature waves of anxiety and stress, we find that as you as you apply energy therapies to patients, there are enormous reductions on the order of magnitude of 90% in those stress brain waves and huge expansions of brain waves that are associated with healing. And then MRI studies are also interesting. They show that, for example, <clears throat> when you do acupuncture with a patient, that the whole stress part of the brain it's the limbic system or midbrain. That whole part of the brain is highly active when we're stressed or when we're emotionally aroused in some way or another. But after you apply energy therapies to patients, then those parts of the brain calm down. One recent clinical trial I, uh, I, I had a hand in was looking at obese women, women who had a, a, a body mass index of over 35. So these were women, typically they were uh, over 100 pounds overweight, and they looked at images of foods they craved, like ice cream and cake and chocolate, pasta, pizza, and so on. And their whole emotional midbrain lit up when they were placed in an MRI scanner. But after EFT, they were the same images of those same foods they craved so much. And they, in fact, the radiologist writing the study said, he said to my colleague who was the, the chief author, he said, what have you done to these women? Now they're in the MRI after treatment and their emotional midbrains are completely quiet when they're presented with these same images of chocolate and cake and cookies, all these things they crave. And again, they are seeing these images again, but their emotional midbrain is no longer lighting up. So we now know that the brain is processing information very, very differently after treatment. We also are able to measure things like hormones, cortisol, DHEA, neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. And it turns out that people's levels of cortisol drop dramatically after these therapies. In a week-long workshop at Esalen Institute a year ago, <clears throat> and that clinical trial is now being published in the medical journal, and it showed that people had, just in one week, their baseline of cortisol, the main stress hormone in their bodies, their cortisol baseline dropped by 37% in just a single week 
uh, meditating, of doing EFT, acupressure, and other kinds of energy therapies. So even though they're energy, they're having a big effect on matter, which is why my new book is called Mind to Matter, because it's showing that mind, consciousness, energy has a dramatic effect on molecules inside our bodies. But some of these things like like tapping, you're, you're actually like tapping your hand, right? Or tapping your arm or tapping parts of your body. Like Reiki doesn't actually involve physical touch. Is that right? Like, like how yeah. are these different? Can you explain some of these different modalities? Yeah, so Reiki is essentially directing your attention to people uh, and doing various hand movements. So is therapeutic touch. So the practitioner is holding the patient in a high intention of healing. And also they're directing energy to the person. And um, in Qigong, this is called external qi. So the qi master or the qi practitioner will direct qi toward the patient or into the patient's body. It's the external application of qi. With EFT or acupuncture, you are either putting a needle in an acupuncture point or you're tapping, in the case of EFT, on an acupuncture point. And that then unblocks the flow of energy, which then promotes the the, the the proper flow of energy in the body and the person then then heals. And it's really, really, really fast. Like um, <clears throat> in a couple of studies I've been involved with, the, the person, say for example, who was a, had, had a phobia, maybe a fear of public speaking, fear of heights, fear of, of being in elevators, claustrophobia, and then they got just 15 minutes of EFT, their phobia went away. So it doesn't take like 10 sessions or 20 sessions or six months or a year treat people with energy therapies. Some of these therapies are extremely fast, very efficient, and they'll treat people very quickly. So either a touch therapy like acupuncture or ac acupressure can be effective in promoting energy flow in the body or a non-touch method like healing touch or Reiki. When you say promote energy uh, flow in the body, what, what do you mean? Well, there are various ways of measuring the body's energy. Um, in mind matter, I was really focused on manifestation, people who can manifest things. So uh, I know a number of people who are what I call master manifestors, and um, they are able to hold an intention and stuff happens. Uh, one, one wonderful example is my friend Jack Canfield, who's the co-author of the Chicken Soup of the Soul series, and um, he is just able to, to get things done. It's, it's just a remarkable manifester. Other people, not so much. They have intentions and nothing much happens. And um, what we see when we hook people up to EEGs is that the brain waves of master manifestors are highly coherent. In my book, Mind to Matter, I have EEG images, brainwave maps, plots of people like Jack, and what you see is that all through the range of their brain waves, their brain waves are highly coherent. People who are poor manifestors, their brain waves are totally incoherent. And the example I use to distinguish them is as a laser. So if you take 60 watts of light, incoherent light is like a light bulb, uh, an incandescent bulb. And you can use a 60 watt bulb, turn, turn on your light, and it illuminates the whole room. If you organize those same 60 watts of light coherently, it's a laser, and then apply that laser in a focused way, now that same 60 watt laser can cut through a steel plate. That's the difference between a coherent mind and an incoherent mind. So you're literally measuring the way the brain is processing energy using an MRI or an EEG. And those who have coherent energy 
are effective in what they do. Their, their intentions are effective, their healing is effective. And so energy is something you can measure in the body using these advanced imaging devices like MRIs, uh, magnetoencephalographs, EEGs, or you can measure it outside of the body. And there are various ways of measuring energy outside the body as well. And it turns out that our fields, our energy fields outside the body are effective at producing change. One study, uh, people were asked to go into coherence, into that, that coherent state, and then they were asked to affect a flask of DNA in solution that was <clears throat> about 10 feet away. And they were able to do it at a distance of about 10 feet. And what they were asked to do actually was they were asked to make the DNA molecules in that solution twist tighter. And this is a phenomenon you can measure on a spectrograph. So they were told to make that DNA twist tight. And those in coherence, in a state of coherence, were able to make the DNA twist tighter. Those who weren't in coherence were not. So again, it's a degree of coherence that has an effect even at a distance from our bodies. What's really interesting is when that distance is large, they then actually moved those flasks of DNA to a different room. This time, the intenders were were told there were three different flasks of DNA, and they were asked to alter the twist of the DNA molecule in only the middle flask and leave the two flasks on the side untouched. Again, in that coherent state, they were able to do that even in a different room. Eventually, the experimenters moved the three flasks 50 miles away. And again, when those experimenters, when those meditators were told then to to twist the DNA tighter in the middle flask and leave the two side ones untouched. They could do that even at 50, 50 miles. And the furthest I've been able to measure so far is a Chinese uh, Qigong master called Dr. Zhan Yang Zin. And Dr. Zin is able to do this and has been, it's been documented he can do this kind of thing at a distance of about a thousand miles. So these are really interesting effects. We don't know how we're able to affect matter at such a, a large distance, or a few people are able to do that, but we do know that it is possible. So we, we're waiting still to understand the mechanics scientifically of how some of these effects happen. We know that they happen, we just don't know how these effects happen yet. And they're measured consistently and significant enough that they can be taken sort of as valid research to work off. I mean, that, that might sound crazy, but like I'm being a little skeptical because this does seem like it moves in a little bit from a Western medicine perspective into sort of mysticism. Oh, it, it does. And in, in Mind to Matter, I talk a lot about this and I talk about local mind and non-local mind. And the old model of consciousness and mind was that our minds were our, in our, in our, our, our minds were inside of our brains that our minds would use activity of our brains. And now <clears throat> there's absolutely zero support experimentally and scientifically for that model. Whereas there's a lot of support for the idea that consciousness exists as a field outside of our bodies and outside of our brains. Our brains are much more like transducers. Right now we're listening to a podcast and you're listening on your phone or your, your iPad or your wireless mobile device but that doesn't mean that this podcast is inside your device. Uh, I am not inside your iPhone. Chris, you're not inside the iPhone. We're somewhere else. People are receiving a broadcast, and our device is the transducer of that signal into a form which can be perceived 
by the person using the phone. Our brains are much more like that. So the, the neuroscience is showing that our brains are receiving information from these, these information fields, some of which are really large, uh, solar system sized, even galaxy sized, perhaps universe sized. And our brains are then translating this information into a form we can understand. As our consciousness shifts, we literally shift the form of matter around us. And the experiments showing that people can do this are really interesting. Now, you're right to say, is this proven? And you need to ask a further question, which is, it, is it replicable? Because one study, <clears throat> one experiment in science is interesting. But if you can replicate that experiment, then you know you've got something. And for example, the Food Drug Administration requires two replications of a clinical trial and the American Psychological Association also very reasonably requires a replication or two replications to sh before it'll validate a therapy as evidence-based. And so for some, some of these phenomena, there's only one person that's been measured with or three people, or there's only one trial. And so in uh, Mind to Matter, I distinguish between interesting stuff like this extraordinary Qigong doctor who can change matter with his mind at a distance and studies that have been shown over and over again, like, for example, the double slit experiment, which now is, is more than 200 years old. We've shown for over two centuries in science that there is an observer effect. As people observe matter, it changes. And in this case, it's photons and electrons. As those are observed, when they're observed, they behave like particles. But when they're not observed, they behave like and so we've measured this effect in science for a long time. It's been replicated hundreds of times. And so we're on really solid ground when we, when we talk about the observer effect. Other phenomena like external chi, only a few studies, only a few people, not nearly as strong an evidence base, but enough to be, make it interesting and to make it worth following scientifically. So you want to distinguish what is replicable and what is not. Now, I don't, this is a whole tangent. I, I don't want to get off here. It, it, there's something going on in science today, which is a really big concern to a lot of players called the replication crisis. And um, <clears throat> many key studies on which modern medicine is based are not replicable. And uh, Amgen, giant biotech company, asked its scientists what were the hundred critical studies they relied on and used in trying to develop new drugs. And they, they actually came up, came up with not 100, they came up with 53 studies that they said were crucial to knowing if they were correct or not. They tried to replicate those 53 studies. They could only replicate about one in three of them. The other two thirds of them weren't replicable. So a lot of modern medicine is based on stuff. We actually really don't know much about it. And in, in science, this is called the replication crisis because so few studies, key studies, in physics and in medicine are replicable. So you wanna look at and see how much evidence there is behind a phenomenon before we know scientifically for sure that it's true. I mean, is that because of poor processes of the past or is that be, are you implying something else? The, the why of the replication crisis uh, has a number of roots. One, one is sometimes uh, human intention is at is play. I'll give you an example from mind to matter. So, at MIT, there is, <clears throat> when you're getting a PhD in chemistry at MIT, there is one thing that you do at a particular lab, 
And that is you have to learn how to precipitate sodium crystals out of a super saturated solution. And this is hard to do. And so uh, the, the lab assistants come into the lab. Over the course of months, they try to do this. And eventually, they need to learn how to do this and, and succeed. And they know coming in that this is difficult. So I talked to the head of the lab at MIT. And, and she was just describing how difficult it was to do to do this, this process of, of creating the sodium crystals. And then there was one freshman who came to the lab and he, he was told that people had to do this, but he wasn't told, he didn't go to the meetings, he didn't get indoctrinated in the culture of the lab. He was never told that it was hard. So he simply grabbed a supersaturated solution and immediately precipitated out the sodium crystals. And then he did it again and again and again. And she was like, what, what are you doing? And he just showed her how easy it was. He hadn't been told it was hard. He had no belief system it was hard. For the lab assistants who got the memo, who were told how difficult this was, it indeed was very difficult. To this freshman who failed to be told it was hard, it was very easy. And there are lots of studies showing that the experimenter's belief plays a major role in the success of an experiment and its replicability. So people who believe it tend to produce these results. And uh, there's a lot more about this. Uh, there's more about this in the book, but it is really interesting that the beliefs of scientists play a major role in the outcome of their studies. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way, you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I want to go more into the book, right? Um, so in, in Mind to Matter, uh, Mind to Matter, you reveal more about how science and our brain create material reality. Can you talk a little bit more about the process of how our brains and minds create reality? Yeah, so the book focuses on how our brains create reality in in several dimensions. And the first one is physical reality. And it's very easy to show this. Uh, so when I, for example, have a stressful event happen, maybe I go for a walk in the park and there are many other people in the park, some of them walking their dogs, suddenly a big, huge, terrifying pit bull breaks away from its owner, runs at me barking with, Things bared about to bite me. 
I'll have a rise in cortisol. So my body is translating that external stimulation of observing the pit bull running toward me into an internal molecular message. And my adrenaline and my cortisol rise and I go into full-fledged fight or flight. My brain changes, brain change, my whole body shifts in response to that external phenomenon. But if I go home that night, assuming the pit bull doesn't, doesn't maul me to death, home at night, and then I, I talk about this experience to my wife, I can experience a similar rise in stress hormones as I'm describing the event and feeling the fear again. When I feel those feelings again, I have a rise in cortisol just the way I do when I'm confronted with the dog in real life. So my body again is now turning not an external event into messenger molecules, it's turning a thought, an emotion, a memory into messenger molecules and I'm producing a rise in cortisol. So we find that highly stressed people, people who are stressed just minds thinking about the bad stuff are uh, are producing more of these stress chemicals. And these stress chemicals have an extremely bad effect on the body long term. And so just to fast forward 60 years or 80 years, pessimists die on average eight years younger than optimists. So processing stress, re recapitulating stress, catastrophizing about the that stuff in your life or imagining a negative future has a profoundly corrosive effect on the body. High cortisol translates to um, reduced bone density, reduced muscle mass, more skin wrinkling, reduced immunity. The list just goes on and on of the bad effects of, of cortisol in your body. And one study I talk about in Mind to Matter, it even shows that cortisol over time produces calcification of the memory and learning centers of the brain. You literally are turning them into bones not not neurons uh, in, in, with long-term stress. So that's the way our thoughts and our consciousness affect our, our bodies physically and produce molecules internally. The way it does this externally, I think, is absolutely amazing because I knew writing the book, I'd find lots of evidence. I mean, there are literally hundreds of studies showing that our thoughts create our reality in terms of molecules inside our bodies. But I then began to look for the research on how thoughts create our reality outside our bodies and those studies are really amazing and the, the 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 group of studies i found the most intriguing because they are replicable and they are highly relevant to our well-being are studies of water in fact i'm about to take a sip of it right now as i speak because it's just this foundation of our physical existence it occupies two-thirds of the globe's surface it makes up about 75 percent of the entire mass of our bodies. Water is incredibly important in biology. And so there's research now showing that when I have an intention <clears throat> and I hold a flask of water, that it produces changes in the molecular structure of that water. So in one study, for example, the researchers, this is a meticulous triple-blind study, uh, and it was replicated several times. The researchers looked at the molecular angle of the bond between the oxygen atom and the hydrogens. So water, of course, is H2O. There are these two little hydrogen atoms that are bonded to this big oxygen atom, and that's why it's called 
H2O, two hydrogens, one oxygen. And the molecular angle of that bond is 104 degrees. And again, this has been measured in chemistry for decades. We know that, that, that those two H's always bond to the O at that angle of 104 degrees, except that when a healer holds a container of water and blesses it, and you basically tell that Reiki practitioner or that healing touch practitioner, they're now not working with a client, they're working with water in a jar or in a, in a bottle, that that water changes and that bonding angle, that molecular bond is no longer 104 degrees. So that changes externally as a result of intention and healing intent. And this has been known about in some sense for thousands of years because there in the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a ceremony of blessing water. The priest blesses the water. In India, there is a water blessing ceremony. In Native American culture, several Native American religions, there's a water blessing ceremony in, in Hinduism. So various kinds of religions have had a long tradition of blessing water. In a really interesting series of studies, water that was blessed by a healer was then used to water plants and compared to the same species of plant watered with unblessed water. So ordinary water versus blessed water. In these studies, in some of them, plants grew twice as high and twice as quickly with the blessed water than when they were watered with the unblessed water. In another study published just last year, uh, an extension study, the researchers measured the amount of chlorophyll in the, in the plants that were that were watered with the blessed water, and the chlorophyll was much higher in those watered with the blessed water. So we know that not only does the molecular bonding angle change, but also it has effects in living beings. And this is one of many studies showing that our intentions, our mind, again, in these coherent states can affect molecules like water around you. I'll, I'll tell you the effect that this has in, in practical terms. Um, I have a friend, and I can use her name. Many, many of my clients, I have, to, I have to make their stories anonymous because I can't, uh, I, I, I can't disclose what their names were. But this woman is coming out with a book on her experiences. And so I can use her name. Her name is Ben Meisner, and her book will be out shortly. And so um, she was diagnosed last year in March with metastasized breast cancer. She had a, a five centimeter lump in her right breast. This is a big tumor. And um, she was, was, was assessed as tumor in her right breast. Also, the lymph nodes under her right armpit were also full of cancerous cells. They were swollen. They were, they were absorbing a lot of blood as the cancer was growing. And when your cancer gets into your lymph nodes, it's serious. It's really bad, bad news, because it could then travel throughout the body in the lymph ducts. And she was also found to have three spots of inflammation on her right lung. So those inflammation spots were the possibility that cancer was now spreading to her lungs as well. And so this was her diagnosis in March of last year. She was told by the oncologist, the cancer surgeon at the hospital she was being treated at. So when they sat her down and actually gave her the diagnosis, the oncologist said, normally we would want you in radiation, like we make an appointment for you next week. But this is so, so serious. I want you to go straight from my office today to the radiation department and get your first treatment today. It's that serious. But Beth said, I need time to reflect 
and look at my options and I want to get another opinion. And she did. She didn't rush into treatment. And what she said to herself, she wound up getting five different opinions, five different doctors. She really, really got, had a great healthcare team. Um, she said to herself, I want to see what changing my energy can do. So she phoned me. She sent me an email. Um, she she explained her her situation to me. She also phoned and talked to a lot of other people in medicine and healing and in biology. And um, she then began to focus on shifting her stress, changing her energy. She shifted her diet, which was pretty good, but she made it ultra clean. She turned off all of her alerts. She watching the news. She quit volunteering for a lot of charity she volunteered for that was very stressful to, to volunteer for. She focused on self-care. She improved her exercise regimen. She cleaned her mind and her thoughts of every stressful thought. She went and spent time with a Qigong master doing Qigong and having him do external qi treatments on her. We did some surrogate work with her, which means that I had a surrogate locally here in California work with her, with her, even though she's in Texas. So again, my intention was to be treating Beth, even though she was a long way away from me. She all this energy work and she got no physical treatment at all. And this was again in March, she got the diagnosis. By May, her lymph nodes were clear. There was no more cancer in her lymph nodes and the tumor shrunk from five centimeters to 1.4 centimeters. And again, the surgeon said, well, you need to have a top, even though it's shrinking. Beth said, no. Uh, one of her doctors said, it's shrinking because it's, it's dead and your body's removing the dead tissue. So let's give it another few weeks. She gave, gave it a few more weeks. Eventually she had blood tests. So again, by she got the diagnosis in March. By May, just two months later, her lymph nodes were clear. And by August, blood tests showed there was not a trace of cancer in her body, and she's now had blood a year and a half later, same same story. So it's remarkable, Chris, how energy has the power to heal people. And I always recommend that whatever problem you're facing, whether it's a relationship problem, or a, uh, a health problem, or uh, a problem to do with your relationship, your body, your career, that you focus on energy as a primary leverage, leverage point to improving your well-being. Well, if somebody's listening to this and they don't, this is their first uh, introduction to energy healing, for example, um, where do they start and how do they, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things. You mentioned she had an ultra clean diet. Like what, what is, there's so much debate over what that means, but I'm curious what that means to you. You said she reduced stress. That seems a little bit more obvious, you said extreme self-care. What does that mean? Um, when you when you talked about working with a, a surrogate, what was that work like? And going one step further, what what I'm trying to do is provide a model for what that might look like. But what other suggestions do you have uh, for someone listening to this if they want to go through this process and of doing the energy work with themselves? Well, um, one of the reasons I love science is it tells us what works and what doesn't. And so in Mind to Matter, I list 30 things people can do that will help them to apply energy therapies and the benefit of energy healing to their lives. And there, there are lots of different ones. And um, those include movement uh, therapies like yoga and qigong and tai chi. 
They include ones that have to do with nature, like there's a very simple technique called grounding, where you simply walk barefoot on the earth, because the earth has a lot of free electrons. And when you walk barefoot on the earth, especially on moist ground, then those electrons flood through your body and they neutralize free radicals, which are the main cause of aging. These unpaired oxygen atoms, they bond with those electrons and they, they neutralize those, 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 those free radicals. So uh, earthing is one of them, but there are, there are 30 practices and there's no one right way, like, you know, Beth's way worked for Beth. Would it work for another cancer patient? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on your lifestyle, depends on your choices. Um, but there are many of these, these practical tools you can use, which I talk about in Mind to Matter. And it's not like Beth's diet is the perfect diet for everyone, or that what Beth did was the perfect thing for every cancer patient. It just depends on you and your situation. So what I do is give people, in the book, I give them these 30 different possible paths they can take. I encourage them to try them, but pick the one that works for you. Like, for example, a yoga class that takes 90 minutes is something I'm never going to be able to do. I just can't get away at my from my office for long enough to do a, a drive to a yoga studio and spend three hours getting there, getting back, and doing a long yoga class. But I can do a 15-minute tai, tai Chi routine. At when I'm taking a break, that I can do. Um, so you want to pick things that are reasonable and fit with your lifestyle. And in the book, I give people this big picture, big panorama of possible practices. But I say then, the right one for you is the one you'll do. EFT tapping, active pressure, takes two minutes or less. I recommend everyone learn that because it's simply the fastest and most potent stress reduction technique that's evidence-based over a hundred studies showing it's effective for anxiety, depression, PTSD, and phobias, so, and pain. So that's an easy one. Meditation is super easy. In Mind to Matter, I talk about a form of meditation I, I, I practice, and you can download these meditations on the book's website, and they take only about 13 minutes to do, 12, 13, 14 minutes, so under quarter of an hour. So that's a reasonable thing to do. And again, research is showing it's producing this dramatic effect on your cortisol level, on your stress level, on your uh, levels of mental health problems like anxiety and depression. Totally worth doing because it takes so little time and it's so effective. So I recommend again that people pick things that fit their lifestyle. And for most Westerners, it's not the monk in the cave meditating for 10,000 hours. That's just not possible for most people. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, I, I know we're getting short on time. I also want to ask you a little bit about epigenetics because uh, you wrote a book about epigenetics. Can you talk a little bit about uh, when you wrote Genie in your genes, what, what was the motivation behind that and connect um, maybe some of the energy work to uh, to that book, if there is a co correlation? Oh, yeah, very, very strong one. And uh, there are many studies, over 100 studies, showing that our emotions affect gene expression. And so if your cortisol is going down, cortisol is a very big, very complicated molecule. Your body needs instructions to build that molecule, and those instructions are found in your genes. And so when you are when your cortisol is dropping, that means that those genes are being suppressed and other genes are being expressed. And so we now are able to map, as our hormones change, our neurotransmitters change, we're able to map the genes that are shifting 
right? For example, in one study I did with, with war veterans, getting 10 sessions of EFT, we found big drops, big changes in their levels of inflammation markers. So inflammation in the body was going way down. And we literally found the genes that promote inflammation were changing. So the genes that suppress inflammation were being dialed up. In another study uh, of people getting EFT acupressure, the researchers looked at normal people and what their gene expression was like before and after a one hour EFT session. And just a one hour of EFT regulated 72 genes. 72 genes were upregulated by just one hour of EFT significantly. And th there were genes to do with suppressing colon cancer and throat cancer and breast cancer that were being dialed up. Those suppression, cancer suppression genes were being dialed up. Uh, metabolism regulation genes that promote good metabolism were being dialed up. Genes that promote cognition and memory and learning were being dialed up. That promote cell repair were being dialed up. So all 72 genes affected by just one hour of this acupressure-based therapy. And it's amazing what this can do. So these energy psychology techniques, energy medicine techniques, as we're able to do is looking at how they affect the genome, we're finding which genes are turning on and which genes are turning off are, are being affected by these energy therapies. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, I know that you only have a couple more minutes. Any last insights or words of wisdom for the people who are listening to this to live happier, healthier, more meaningful lives? Chris, I'm so happy that you're offering this to your community and sharing the, these, these things with them because we can make a huge difference in our bodies and our futures and our health by doing this. And when I work with people in live workshops, many of them are suffering. And what is so powerful for me is that when they tap, when meditate, their suffering levels go away. And so I want you to know that you don't have to suffer, that research shows, hundreds of studies show, that you can easily shift your pain, your anxiety, your depression, and not have that burden of disease. This opens up the possibility of being optimistic, of being caring, being compassionate, loving yourself. And then that translates to better health and a much longer and far healthier lifespan. So my, my passion is to see you do these things, apply them, and enjoy those benefits. Dawson, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn about Dawson, his books, all the work that he does, we're going to post some links on the Craft of Charisma website and within the description of this podcast so that you can learn about him and his work more easily. Thank you again. Thank you so much. It's dating coach Chris Lona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.